It is Friday, January 19th, 2024, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellens. On our show today, we have our first 2024 conversation with Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics. We'll cover planes leaving Fort Smith and river traffic passing along the Arkansas River. Then, later, we'll take in some local nature. It's, uh, it's been an ongoing restoration project since about 2012. Um, this is all part of about a 1,600 to 2,000 acre former tall grass prairie that was in the region. A trip to a Northwest Arkansas Land Trust property and a chance for a middle schooler you know to engage with wildlife and art. Connecting that creativity and skill on display with the wildlife of Arkansas. Plus, Becca Martin-Brown, the arts and entertainment editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, wants us to get more involved with art. She'll tell us how. All of that and more. First, the news from NPR. Theater Squared presents What the Constitution Means to Me, Heidi Schreck's reimagining of how this living document impacted four generations of women and what it means for the future of America. A New York Times critic's pick and a Pulitzer Prize finalist. This play is on stage through March 3rd, 777-7477 or theater2.org for tickets. The Clinton School of Public Service is now accepting applications for its online degree program. Clinton School Online is built for public service professionals looking to advance their careers without relocating or disrupting their personal lives. More information at clintonschool.uasys.edu or by calling the Office of Admissions, 501-683-5228. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, January 19th, 2024. Ozarks at Large, a production of 91.3 KUAF in Fayetteville. I'm Kyle Kellums. For the first time in 2024, schedules are lining up, and I'm able to talk with Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics from his Fort Smith office. A belated but, you know, sincere Happy New Year to you, sir. Well, thank you. I just it's can't believe we're getting halfway into the 2020s. <laughs> Good grief, but here we are. And it's been a... Um, you know, it's been a January so far. John Williams, who is on the radio here in Northwest Arkansas, put on Facebook the other day, he was happy the first two months of January were over. And I can feel yes. that very much. <laughs> yes. Let's let's start our first conversation of a new year talking about numbers. First of all, numbers at the Fort Smith Airport. A slight dip in employments over the last 12 months? Yeah, a little bit of a disappointment. Um, the airport was really coming out of the gate at a pretty good clip from the uh, pandemic had really been in, uh, recovering. The numbers were growing. Uh, but then this year they just kind of stalled and they were down 1.7%. Um, total employments were um, 60,669 down 1.7%. Um, and the concern there is if um, you look at XNA and you look at Little Rock, um, as of the time we did our story, they didn't have their full year numbers, but through October, uh, X and A employments were up almost 19% and Little Rock employments were up over 11%. So, you know, there's some concern about, you know, if, you know, the Fort Smith numbers don't improve, if they stay where they are, will that commercial traffic remain? And so I talked to Michael Griffin, he's the director of the Fort Smith airport, and he's confident it will, that the issue is that uh, American Airlines converted to some larger planes, and so they moved from um, four flights a day to three flights a day out of Little Rock, or out of, excuse me, out of Fort Smith uh, to DFW. 
he says that's partially to blame for the decline and just not as much frequency, not, not as many options for travelers. Um, he's hoping to get that there. American uh, wants a per plane load of 80%. Uh, Griffin says they're getting close to that. They're in the upper 70s, and they can get up to 80% for a while. Then they'll get another flight. And that could also encourage other carriers to come in, maybe add a route to St. Louis or Chicago or something, which is what they're doing, um, trying to recruit right now. So he's optimistic that um, the airport will stay viable in terms of commercial traffic. Uh, and for everybody, for the Forceman Metro, for the benefit of the Forceman Metro, I hope he is correct. I'm going to trust his optimism. If employments were slightly down, Compared to numbers of the previous year, the traffic, or at least what was carried on traffic on the Arkansas River, went up. Yeah, that was a, a surprising number because, um, you know, we talked to, when you talk to economists, when you talk to some of the river operators, they all noted that, that 2022 was a pretty good year. And depending on, they, they weren't just optimistic about where the economy was going, but the tonnage was up. Uh, almost 11% in 2023, uh, up 10.9%, uh, a little over 12.2 million tons were shipped. Um, a big part of that growth, again, is uh, sand, gravel, rock. And I, I know some of your listeners may remember me and they're probably tired of me talking about how this is kind of a foundational part of the economy. Uh, you know, sand, gravel, rock, chemical fertilizers, iron and steel, Minerals and building materials, wheat, ag products, those are the core elements that are shipped on the river. And, you know, without some of those elements, a lot of things in our economy would shut down. Mm-hmm. And so it's obviously an important part. But it, but sand gravel rock shipments were up uh, 2%. Chemical fertilizers, now that's primarily uh, a product used over in eastern Arkansas. That's uh, in some in the uh, poultry sector. Uh, that was up 29% for the year, iron and steel, which is kind of, it's not a um, clear metric in terms of direction for the manufacturing industry, but it's a good sign. Uh, iron and steel shipments were up 9%. Uh, built Minerals and building materials uh, were up over 56%. So um, a, a pleasant surprise on numbers for river tonnage. Um, talked to Brian Day and Marty Shell, two river operators there. Uh, somewhat optimistic that um, that, that uh, tonnage in 2024 will keep that pace. I don't think they're willing to say if it'll increase or how much it'll increase, but they're, they're optimistic that that pace um, will continue in 2024. Well, let's do one more number. The Arkansas-based BD Capital Group, they are the folks who, you know, renovated Masonic Temple in downtown Fort Smith. They have now acquired a fourth a uh, historic Masonic temple. This one is in where? Columbus, Ohio? Colum- yep, Columbus, yeah. Ohio. It's their second in Ohio. Um, this is a great story. Uh, Lance Beatty, you know, back in, um, uh, I guess, what, 2000, the early 2000s, like 2013, 2014, bought the old Masonic temple in downtown Fort Smith, which had just kind of not been used, kind of been allowed to deteriorate for many years. And, um, he took that, had a vision for it. I think some people wondered if he had kind of lost his mind a little bit, but he, he turned that into a success. He bought uh, a major uh, Masonic temple uh, in um, Cleveland, 
that was active has converted that and it's turning that into even a larger venue. Uh, he bought a, another Masonic temple in Wichita, Kansas. Now this one in Columbus, um, he didn't disclose, the company didn't disclose the terms of the deal uh, for the Columbus, but, um, and I will be surprised if four is the final number. I mean, there are plenty of these Masonic temples around the country that are in need of help or maybe have an active operation that he can plug into. But um, one of the things that gives him in Columbus, you know, he's got the facility in Cleveland, as these bands and these performance companies, off-Broadway companies, they travel through, you know, one of the things they want to do is route to cities that are close together. So having Cleveland and Columbus um, helps him a little bit on in terms of um, attracting good uh, uh, good performers to, to stop over and uh, perform in his venue. So kudos to Lance Beatty and Beatty Capital Group. They've taken a, a vision for how to use a Masonic temple and so far seem to be making money off of it. I think once you've done four, your email inbox might start to fill up with people who might have a Masonic temple on their hands that they're overwhelmed yeah. by. Yeah, come look at us, please, yeah. please. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's a good point. Uh, someone who was quite the influential leader, not just in Fort Smith, but in Arkansas, uh, died earlier uh, this year, and that's Paul Harville, someone I know you knew. Yeah, it's um, Paul Harville's 80, but he, you know, Sometimes I don't think people realize that there are a handful of people who work behind the scenes to make communities better, no matter what state you live in. And in Arkansas, Paul Harville was one of those. He had touched most of the major major chambers over his almost five decades of chamber work. Um, he was head of the he for Fort Smith folks. He took the Fort Smith chamber when. They had allowed a chamber president to almost bankrupt it. Um, they brought Paul Harville in. He restored it, restored its credibility in the community, got its finances back in order. Um, he was head of the Little Rock Chamber for a long time. In fact, when he was at the Little Rock Chamber, he created, he, not single-handedly, but he definitely led the effort uh, to create the agriculture, the Arkansas Agriculture Hall of Fame, which is still going. It's now managed by the Arkansas Farm Bureau. But he was influential in the Springdale Chamber, uh, Arkadelphia, Russellville Chamber. He kind of helped rescue them back probably about 10, less than 10 years ago. But he never took credit for it. You probably never heard his name. Um, he was a servant leader before we all knew what that meant or even used that term. So just a, one of those people that did so much behind the scenes, never wanted credit for it. But we've certainly lost a, an amazing leader in the Arkansas's business and economic development circles. Speaking of someone who's been influential in Fort Smith, uh, Madison Marsh, the new Miss America. Oh she was representing Colorado, but she's a Fort Smith native. You've talked to her. You've yep. talked to me about her. Um, second lieutenant, just an amazing person, and now she's Miss America. Yeah, we had talked before about how you you know it's rare but sometimes you can talk to somebody for just a few seconds and you realize, oh gosh, this person has their act together. This this is a person who has somehow packed a lifetime of experience and wisdom into 20 years. And that's her. Um, easily one of the most impressive people I've talked to in a long time in terms of a, a younger person going somewhere. But yes, 
second lieutenant Madison Moore. She's attending Harvard now in a graduate program. Um, she's on a pilot track with the Air Force. Uh, but yeah, stepped up and just knocked it out of the park at the recent Miss America pageant. She's the first active duty uh, person to ever win that pageant, and it's eighty something or a hundred and something year history. Um, she's known especially in Fort Smith. She, she graduated Southside High School, but her and her father primarily co-founded Whitney's Race. It's in honor of her mom who died of uh, pancreatic cancer at the age of forty-one after just ten months. Mm. So she is a, a lot of her life is involved in um, cancer research, pancreatic cancer, raising money for that. She's lobbied Congress. Uh, U.S. Representative Steve Womack has um, sponsored her there in the halls of Congress raising money. So just a great representative, not just for Fort Smith, but for the Air Force, for, um, you know, and I'm sure I'm, I don't mean to take away from past winners, but. I can't imagine uh, if if they're all as accomplished and as promising and as smart and focused and um, in- incredibly gifted as Madison Marsh, then that's been that's been a hell of a run. Yeah, uh, you can read about her and all the other things we've talked about, and you can read. A, I, I'm sure that we could search talk business and politics at topics talkbusiness.net and find the earlier articles that you did about her. Yes, yeah. I think we may have linked those in the, okay. first in the article about her um, Miss America win. Well, you can go to talkbusiness.net, find out more about everything we've talked about. And look at this, Michael. We talked, and I never even mentioned the Dallas Cowboys. Well, um, they say you shouldn't curse on air, so yeah, <laughs> that's probably a good thing. Michael Tilly, we will connect again next Friday. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, sir. On last week's Wait Wait, it became clear that the rules of our games are somewhat flexible. Like roaches. I'm gonna give it to you, wolf spiders. Oh. Wait, what? I'm Peter Sagal. We'll probably bend over backwards to make sure actor David Oyelowo wins our game. I mean, he played MLK. Join us for the news quiz that plays it loose. That's Wait Wait from NPR. Tomorrow morning at 9 on KUAF. This is... Ozarks at Large for Friday, January 19th, 2024. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks for being with us. The podcast Points of Departure takes looks at big social problems like hunger, poverty, and housing from both local and global perspectives. The new season will premiere later this spring, but hosts Lawrence Hare and Rogelio Garcia Contreras have put together a special conversation with Alyssa Snyder from the local nonprofit seeds that feed. Last year, Snyder joined them and University of Arkansas students for an intercultural exchange in Barcelona to see how similar organizations in Spain were addressing food insecurity. Here's an excerpt from that conversation. Two weeks in January, we took 13, right, 13 students, and they were from a wide variety of disciplines. We took students from uh, the College of Engineering. We took students from the College of Business, from the College of Arts and Sciences, and they worked together in teams. We took them into a completely foreign environment, but we had them looking at very familiar themes, very familiar problems that they know from their time in Arkansas. And the two that we focused on specifically were food security and job skill development. And we were really interested in understanding how the history of Catalonia, the culture of Catalonia, and the people of Catalonia approach these problems. And 
we added one more really cool wrinkle to the whole mix. We didn't just take students with us. We also took a community partner from Northwest Arkansas, and that community partner is joining us in the studio today. That's Alyssa Snyder, whose title is uh, Chief Seeder of Seeds That Feed, (laughs) uh, a local nonprofit in Fayetteville. Hi, Alyssa. Welcome to Points of Departure. Thank you. Welcome, Alyssa. Good to be here. Thank you. Now, I have to say, Alyssa was a phenomenal community partner to take. If this was an experiment, that experiment worked very beautifully. Now, you have worked with us for years as a guest in, our, in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times we're here. Oh, many, many times. <laughs> yeah. and, Lisa and has been, been very generous with her time. Very <laughs> generous with your time. Not only, not only talking to students about what you do at Seeds That Feed, but also mentoring students outside the classroom who are doing various projects. And having you in Barcelona worked really well because it was ha- it was like having an embedded mentor mm. with the group. Mm-hmm. And it was also having a community partner with whom the students could create the dialogue that we want to see between our, our local network of, of agencies and change-making organizations and our partners in Spain. What, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on one particular visit that we had when we went to the food bank mm-hmm. in Barcelona, this, w- this was an eye-opening experience for me. Um, food banks are an American mm-hmm. innovation, but now there is a pretty robust European food bank network, and mm-hmm. they've, they've really <laughs> taken this idea and run with it. And Barcelona had a really impressive food bank operation. I, I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but the thing that shocked me the most about the Barcelona food bank was the type of food that they had. Mm. Do, do you remember this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, like you go, to, you, you go to a food bank and you expect to see things in boxes. <laughs> yeah. Right? Macaroni and cheese and crackers and, and whatnot. But no. the food bank in Barcelona was, it was all fruits and vegetables. Yeah. It was things in bags. <laughs> yeah, I think it, she said 60%, about 60% of what they got was fruits and vegetables, working with farms and retailers. And and I asked, I was like, you know, because that's kind of probably the flip of here, yes, right? Yes. And I asked her about it. You're, how is it that or why is it that you get so much of that? And she said, well, that's what people want. And I thought, oh, perfect. <laughs> that's exactly right. says a lot about the local diet, too, I think. says a lot about the diet, but also about the way in which you conceive the person in need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about the conception of what being in need means and, and, and how to address that need that, that goes into this as well. That's right. And that reminds me of another thing that we saw when we were at La Fajeda. And <clears throat> personally, La Fajeda was my favorite. Mm. It's in a, in a pretty remote part of Catalonia, out, out in the forest. A natural reserve. At a natural <laughs> reserve, yeah. And, and it's... Yeah. It is a yogurt manufacturer. They they do much of the dairy, far- not all, but much of the dairy farming on site, which that in of itself was interesting. They try to use a lot of sustainable methods. Yeah. So their business purpose, I should back up, their business purpose is to produce great tasting yogurt. And it is the number one selling brand in Catalonia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But their underlying purpose is a social purpose. It is to create job opportunities for people at risk of social exclusion. And um, they have a, a wide variety of support services on site for a, a workforce that is very atypical for an American workforce, I think. The thing that I thought was really fascinating, and this gets to kind of what you were saying earlier, Alyssa, is that they had different roles for 
people with very different needs. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the jam production, yep. which is a pretty low low skill part of the operation, stirring jam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't really, we, I didn't really come. I don't, I don't know how to make jam, so I can't, <laughs> I can't claim a lot of knowledge here. But they, the the jam production was r- really reserved for people who have who are following the neurodiverse spectrum and, and have needs. And, and they had said that the, the jam is an important part. They sell with the yogurt. It's an important part of it. And they had the opportunity to make the operation more efficient by getting bigger vats. Mixers. Pro- mixers, yeah, yeah, where they mix and produce the jam. But instead of getting bigger vats, they bought more smaller vats so yes. that they can employ more workers. And yeah. so the social bottom line was clearly in the needs of the community, both as producers and as consumers, was as important as the financial bottom line. Yeah. But it's still a financially was, sustainable company. I love that, that. that. That to me was fascinating <laughs> because was. Uh, the, the you know, business decisions were made thinking on the uh, people they employ, right? First and foremost, I think that that was really valuable. But what, what are your thoughts, Elisa? Oh, yeah. I, the whole time I was there, I kept hearing... We employ people at risk of social exclusion, people with disabilities, people who have been incarcerated, people who are needing a good job and a place and a community to become a part of, and then we make yogurt. The yogurt just happens to be the number one yogurt, you know, great business model, but their first and foremost thing, and I think what they constantly come back to is that original mission and I just thought that that was so cool because they were coming from that framework, you know, and and they had a great business model. Things were working beautifully, but first and foremost is it's about the people and the jobs that we're creating. And it's not a marketing strategy. No. They actually don't talk about yeah. it when they yeah. market the product. It's yeah. just it's it's <laughs> integral to the mission. Yeah. I want to ask you about your impressions of the students. Did you mm-hmm. did what did you think of their response to some of these things? Oh, I was blown away by the students. I just kept thinking, I don't feel like I was like that at all. <laughs> it's their age. The way that they were just so genuinely interested and, you know, asking really great questions. And then, you know, right afterwards, a lot of times, and I loved this part too, it was really fun would come up to me and ask ask questions or, you know, in the middle of, you know, while we were in a presentation or something, lean over and and ask me a, a question. For me, it was just really cool to, to see them in action and get to experience that alongside them. I learned a ton from them. So we, we're going back in May 2024, and we hope once again to take uh, community partners with us. I wondered if you had advice for a potential community partner who may mm. be th- who may be thinking, oh, that sounds like an interesting opportunity, mm-hmm. what, what would you say to them? Would you recommend them to come with go. us? <laughs> go. And if you don't want to go, I'll go. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh, yeah. Just, yeah, just go. And um, I think that's a, the beauty of experiences like that. Maybe it's not like this one thing that you brought back that you're like, I'm gonna, we're gonna do this here, and we're gonna, you know. But there's these these moments and these things that come in, and they come in as they sort of need to and where they need to. And um, I think that's the cool thing about traveling and and bringing in the model that you guys are doing. 
um, it's something that will continue to like live and breathe on that you you bring back. That was Alyssa Snyder speaking with Lawrence Hare and Rogelio Garcia Contreras for the KUAF produced podcast Points of Departure. It's produced by Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth inside the Karen Taha News Studio. You can listen to the full episode of Points of Departure beginning on Monday. Search Points of Departure wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also download it from KUAF.com. And speaking of KUAF-produced podcasts, a brand new episode of Resilient Black Women has just dropped. That, too, can be found wherever you find podcasts or at KUAF.com. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A Little Rock native would gain international fame as a composer. Florence Smith was born on April 9, 1887, and published musical pieces while in high school. After graduating from the New England Conservatory of Music, she returned to Arkansas, where she married lawyer Thomas Price. Racial tensions led the couple to move to Chicago in 1927, and she found increased professional opportunities there. In 1933, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra performed her Symphony in E Minor, the first time a major symphony showcased a piece by a black female composer. Symphonies in Detroit, Pittsburgh, Brooklyn, and in Europe also performed her works. Her more than 300 compositions range from piano teaching pieces to symphonies and concertos, and many reflected her Southern heritage. She died in Chicago in 1953, and in 2018, the Arkansas State Music Teachers Association, which had denied her membership in the 1920s because of her race, honored her accomplishments. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. This is Ozarks at Large. Arkansas students can engage in wildlife and art as part of the 10th annual Wildlife of Arkansas Student Art Contest that opened this past Monday. The contest is open to any Arkansas student in grades K through 12. That includes students who are homeschooled. Sim Barrow, the Director of Community Conservation with the Arkansas Wildlife Federation, says students can make their contributions online and they can use any kind of wildlife for inspiration, from white-tailed deer to fish. We, of course, uh, love to see the beautiful depictions of the naturally occurring uh, animals that are found in Arkansas. So that can be songbirds, it could be white-tailed deer, wild turkey, uh, it could also be uh, largemouth bass or other aquatic animals, even insects like butterflies, beetles, um, snails. Those are all wildlife, but our art contest also includes uh, the native flora, so wildflowers and plant life. And of course, uh, we also love to see the wildlife of Arkansas featured in uh, your diverse landscapes of Arkansas. And so uh, this contest features wildlife and uh, flowers and landscapes. I love that. So trees, right? You have... Absolutely. The, the post oaks that are down there in the uh, in the southeastern part of the state? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the best things that I love about this art contest. Uh, not only does it allow the students an opportunity to connect with the natural world in their own uh, part of the state, but it also gives us an opportunity to highlight the great diversity and beauty of the state because the bottomland hardwoods in the Delta have just as much beauty as the beautiful vistas of the Ozarks or the Washita's, and uh, the wildlife is uh, similarly uh, outstanding. What's the cutoff date, and then how do we find out who, who when will, will achieve honors? We are open for submissions until March 29th. Uh, at that time, submissions will close, and judging will begin. 
we uh, expect to have our, our top three winners for every grade level, so that's K through 12, uh, decided by April 15th, at which time we will contact the winners uh, to let them know that they have been selected. Uh, if the student's artwork was not selected as a uh, winning artwork, uh, we will, of course, encourage them to try again next year. Um, and from that point, we'll begin preparing uh, one of my favorite parts of the contest, which is the traveling art exhibit. So in May, the uh, exact date is still uh, to be determined, but we'll be opening a traveling exhibit featuring prints of all of the winning artwork uh, at the Arkansas State Capitol. And we'll be inviting the winning uh, students and their families to attend a reception uh, to receive acknowledgement of their uh, great work and to see their artwork in person. Uh, if they're unable to make that reception, uh, the artwork will be traveling to uh, public community spaces across the state over the course of the next year. And so uh, that will include some of the Arkansas Game and Fish nature centers that are uh, located in various parts of the state, uh, as well as uh, Crystal Bridges. We're working with Crystal Bridges currently to uh, feature their uh, our exhibit there at their uh, campus. And so uh, we're hoping to be able to provide uh, an opportunity for the students to see their artwork on display with all the other winning pieces uh, close to home. It'd be pretty cool to be, I don't know, in seventh or eighth grade and say, you know, I've already shown at the Arkansas State Capitol and Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. That's a nice little resume starter. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I had just have to say, uh, seeing some of the artwork that has won in the past, uh, it's really remarkable, not only the quality of work that is submitted across all grade levels, but also the creativity that's on display. And so I think that's a really good point that, uh, you know, being able to see your own artwork uh, on display in these places that have, you know, a, a pretty good amount of prestige uh, is definitely, uh, we hope, to be an inspiration to those uh, contestants that this is something that they can pursue. Uh, and of course, also connecting that creativity and skill on display with the wildlife of Arkansas is, I think, a really important opportunity as we, you know, we all value uh, kids getting out of nature. And sometimes it, it can be a little challenging. And so this contest, uh, we really hope will be an opportunity for them to find their own way outdoors and to connect in their own way as well. And, you know, I think we have this tendency to think, okay, wildlife, I'm thinking along the banks of the Mississippi River and the Delta or somewhere in the Washita or Ozark Mountains. But the way you've described wildlife with the insects and the butterflies, you could be, I don't know, on Chenal in, in Little Rock or, you know, in downtown Springdale, and you'd still be able to find inspirational wildlife. Absolutely. And um, in fact, uh, because you mentioned that, it reminds me, we are uh, really excited to be releasing a library of resources to help students to uh, support their efforts in the contest. And, and we're actually also encouraging art teachers and schools across the state to incorporate this contest into their own lesson planning curriculum. And so one of the uh, curriculum pieces that we've developed is a lesson plan that breaks it down and allows a, a whole class to go out into their campus or nearby outdoor space and practice uh, observing nature with creativity in mind. 
And so uh, there are some new supports that are coming out uh, that we hope will be useful to help encourage those art teachers to bring their kids outside and demonstrate exactly that point. You don't have to go to uh, this, you know, far remote wilderness to find wildlife. Uh, wildlife is in your, in your own backyard or your own uh, public park, uh, even, you know, at the landscaping in your community center. Those are all places you can go to find uh, inspiration in wildlife. All right, Tim, you mentioned that you, I think you said dabble in nature art. What is your favorite subject if that would fit into this category? So um, I, my background is in entomology. And so uh, I have been a bug nerd for my whole life. And so I tend to gravitate towards the um, small and often unnoticed aspects of nature. And so that includes insect, but mosses and lichens on tree bark. Um, these are all beautiful things that are, you know, smaller than a quarter, but have the same level of complexity and intricacy that, um, you know, uh, wild turkey's feathers have. So um, I think that there's, again, opportunities for witnessing and observing wildlife at every scale. Sim Barrow is Director of Community Conservation with the Arkansas Wildlife Federation. He was discussing the 10th Annual Wildlife of Arkansas Student Art Contest, which opened this past Monday. Art in any two-dimensional medium can be submitted online. Three winners from each grade level will be announced in April, with the winning works included in exhibits at different locations around the state, including the Arkansas State Capitol and Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. Guidelines, rules, and other important dates connected to the contest can be found by searching arwild.org. Wildlife artists looking for inspiration would surely have found some if they had been with Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis earlier this month. It was earlier this week that we heard from Jack about the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust effort to protect 10,000 acres of land throughout the region. Jack visited one of these properties with Marcin Nance, the Land Trust Director of Stewardship and Research, to learn more about the landscape and why its preservation is vital for maintaining Northwest Arkansas's original scenery. Here's Marcin. This is Wilson Springs Preserve. This is uh, about a 120-acre um, property owned by the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. We got nearly 7,500 acres protected in Northwest Arkansas, and we're, we're making a push to get 10,000 acres protected. And um, and so, this was one of our this is one of our kind of first properties uh, that we owned and managed. And so, um, so yeah, it's sort of an ambassador property, kind of get people on the land, kind of get them to see what we're what we're all about, what we're doing. It's, uh, it's been an ongoing restoration project since about 2012. Um, this is all part of about a 1,600 to 2,000 acre former tall grass prairie that was in the region. Uh, Fayetteville had a lot of different prairie and grassland uh, habitat uh, for European um, settlement here. And um, we got this property from the, uh, the Audubon Society back in 2011. It was given to us to, uh, to restore and manage. And really what we've been trying to do is um, 
restore and manage the property for grassland uh, habitat. And so we've got uh, a lot of different pieces of habitat in here, but uh, primarily we've been trying to just open up the forest canopy. It was uh, it was an agriculture for a long time, and once that stopped, a forest kind of grew where a forest shouldn't have been. A lot of that stuff was, was not good stuff. It was a lot of invasive plant species, um, honeysuckle and Bradford pear and privet, a lot of bad guys. And so we've been really just trying to go through here and uh, clear out some of that woody material to allow our native wildflowers and grasses to thrive out here. We've got almost 600 species of plants and animals here on the property and uh, we've got about 30 species that are considered greatest conservation need species here in Arkansas. Um, we've got a few reptiles, a few butterflies, um, the Arkansas darter of course, and then uh, lots of species of birds use the property here throughout the year. So uh, it's kind of a birding mecca here in Fayetteville. We have over 180 species of birds here, so a lot of people come out here and bird watch at various times of the year. We get ducks in the wintertime and lots of neotropical migratory birds that happen in the spring and the fall. So just a really interesting place. Yeah, it's important for everybody to come out here and experience these kind of landscapes. For one, this is a this is a threatened and increasingly rare type of habitat um, in our region. And uh, you know, Northwest Arkansas and Fayetteville in particular used to look a lot more like this than it does today. You know, we didn't have a lot of these really dense forests and stuff. You look at these surveys from the 1800s and they talk about seeing bison out in these areas and how open it was. And um, and so uh, you know, trying to maintain some of that historical conservation value is important um, and also you know when you can get out to these natural spaces and just see things and touch things and experience new surroundings new, new sounds new smells um, all, all the things um, it just it just keeps us kind of tuned in and connected to our environment you know people are animals fundamentally we we evolved in the wilds and so uh, you know it's important for everyone to get outside and get into these natural areas and uh, just to reconnect a little bit I think with uh, where we came from um, you know there's a whole host of you know educational and spiritual values to being outside and being in these areas and um, yeah, I just think it's critical and for kids in particular to try to just you know make them realize the importance of these areas they see all this development around us they see all the people coming and us growing which is exciting in a lot of aspects but um, it's important for them to understand that you know this is what Northwest Arkansas really was you know we can't always keep it like that but we can keep pieces of it like that you know marson nance with the northwest arkansas land trust giving ozarks at large's jack travis a tour of one of the land trust properties you can find the story jack had for us earlier this week about the land trust effort to preserve 10,000 acres of land by going to our website OzarksAtLarge.com. And a quick reminder that if you ever miss an edition of Ozarks at Large or hear something that you'd like to share with somebody else, OzarksAtLarge.com can help you. We have archived complete shows and individual stories and interviews there. And with each, there is a link that allows you to share the material through social media or email. OzarksAtLarge.com.
This is Ozarks at Large. It's Friday. It is time to check in with Becca Martin-Brown, who is the arts and entertainment editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, I'm checking in. And it's not dead. You, you, but you, you've had a rough few weeks, eh? Um, well, I had this great idea. I made this New Year's resolution that I wanted to encourage myself and our listeners and my readers to not just observe the arts, but to participate in them. Right. To not just go see a show, but to make art, to take a class, to audition. So how's it going? Well, I've been sick since Christmas Eve. Well, uh, yeah, and and you're on amend now. And to, I am. To be fair, I think your resolution was for us to participate. So we're participating. Oh, well, okay. So we have this new calendar in WhatsApp that's intended to let you look at opportunities that way. So it should inspire you. In the meantime, I got a couple of ideas for this weekend. Tonight, 6.30, Rogers Activity Center. Mm-hmm. It is the Season Leaks 39 announcement for Arkansas Public Theater. And when does this season begin? Okay, this season starts late in 2024. Okay. Season 38, which is APT's return from remodeling of the Victory Theater, right. begins with Into the Woods in April, Rant in May, and Kinky Boots in August. So that's, and then season 39 kicks in. Right. So those three productions you just mentioned, that's season 38. Season 39, which is announced tonight, is what starts after those three productions. Exactly. And I can't tell you what they're going to announce because they'll get really unhappy with me. Sure. But for 10 bucks, you can go to the Rogers Activity Center. You can find out. Then you can go to an after party upstairs at Ozark Beer Company, and you can find out how to get involved with the oldest continuously performing arts organization in Northwest Arkansas, they say. You can find out more at ArkansasPublicTheater.org. And then tomorrow night, you can take an unscheduled trip to Paris. Arkansas? No. Oh. France. Oh. Not a bad idea. No, 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 not at all. Okay, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas Uh, had to change programming because of illness. Right. So for this weekend's concert, they added An American in Paris by George Gershwin. First performed in, I think, 32 and uh, has a lot of staying power. And you can't get any happier, (laughs) you know. You can't get any happier. Gershwin himself said, you know, that the whole idea is to feel yourself walking down the Champs-Élysées with a straw hat on, seeing the sights, drinking the French wine. What could be better than that? Well, after having a week in January with sub-zero temperatures, I think it sounds pretty good. And you also get Samuel Barber's Symphony Number no. 1, and William Dawson's Negro Folk Symphony, and it all happens tomorrow night at the Walton Art Center, right. starting at 7.30, and tickets start at $36, and you can put on pants. <laughs> That's right, and actually get out of the house. Yeah. 
And then if you want some of those get involved opportunities. Right. On the 22nd, which is Monday. Monday. The Shiloh Singers are auditioning for their new season. Tell me about the Shiloh Singers. They actually came out of the Art Center of the Ozarks and have sort of elevated their programming to be truly auditioned and to do, like they're doing Requiem this Mm. season. So this is not where I should be on Monday. (laughs) No. But if you have a wonderful singing voice, this is where you should be on Monday at 6.30 at First United Methodist Church in Springdale. Or on the 23rd and the 25th at First Presbyterian Church in Springdale, you can audition for the next Northwest Arkansas Audio Theater performance, The Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh, fun. And, you know, audio theater is theater done our way like radio that's right and they do such a fun thing or on the 26th you can audition for theater collectives risque cabaret hmm. so there's three things you can get involved with or the weekend of the 26th and 27th or the weekend of february 2nd and 3rd they're having paranormal weekends at the crescent hotel in eureka springs uh, isn't every weekend a paranormal weekend at the Crescent? Oh, I hope so. Yeah. That's where I'm going to go haunt if I never get over this. <laughs> well, okay. Um, you you also mentioned that, you know, part of your resolution of getting, because not everyone wants to be on stage, right? And there are classes galore around at museums and libraries and places like Community Creative Center, and you can find out by, you know, sort of Googling. Oh, and we have one of the new categories in the calendar is learn something new. Like on every Tuesday, the Rogers Public Library has a stitch together thing at one o'clock where you can go and meet other people who do needlework and get them to teach you how to do it. See, there you go. Where can people find What's Up? People can find What's Up in their Sunday edition of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette or the River Valley Democrat Gazette. They can find it online at nwaonline.com, and there's a replica edition online so you can see the pretty layout that we do for you because I still believe in print journalism. So there you go. And what I appreciate, Becca, is, you know, I get the—I subscribe to the replica edition, and I also get the Sunday edition thrown into my driveway. I get the River Valley um, section with my Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, so I like that. And there's so much—I mean— the arts in Northwest Arkansas and the River Valley are a gift that keeps on giving. So if you want to actually get in touch with it, read this like you're reading Tiger Beat, dude. <laughs> Becca Martin-Brown is the arts and entertainment editor with the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, I implore you to get some rest, and so we'll talk again next week. We will. I'm not dead yet. It's a role Clive Owen always coveted, and yet when it came... I've been duped. I don't get the hat. I don't get the coat. I don't get the gun. I have to give up smoking. Like, oh, I want to play Sam Spade. Well, what is this? The legendary detective, older, wiser, and living in France, Monsieur Spade. 
and all the latest news, Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition with Scott Simon, tomorrow morning beginning at 7. Tuesday is National Maternal Health Day, and on our Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large, we're going to talk with Ashley Bearden-Campbell, who is Executive Director for Arkansas for Improving Maternal Health. We're going to talk about a new program that the organization is launching. The full conversation is on our Tuesday show, but we wanted to bring you this excerpt preview. We definitely have um, specific areas of focus that we will be focusing on in the future, but right now we are truly in the listening phase of our campaign. Um, We are really interested in gathering stories from moms and families that have experienced negative and sometimes devastating outcomes as a result of poor maternal health care. So by gathering these stories through our platform, aimforarkansas.org, not only can these moms and families share their stories, but be a part of a community that is very supportive um, and also show our policymakers through these voices that this is an urgent and statewide issue um, and that they have the support that they need to take action on these issues in the future. We have been talking about, reporting about, discussing the, the poor maternal health and, and in, in Arkansas for some time. And what we often do is use statistics, right? 50th or 51st, or we'll talk about how many mothers or, or children are at risk. What can a story do that these statistics, as devastating and alarming as they may be, might not be able to do? Sure. So just as you said, these statistics are truly alarming. I mean, being number one in the nation for maternal mortality and knowing that the majority of those deaths are preventable um, is it's heartbreaking, but it's really important for these families to know that they're not just another number. And frankly, I didn't want to just be another statistic because I am one of these voices and I do have a story to tell. Um, I'm sure you've seen from the release. I delivered my daughter incredibly early at 28 weeks, five days, and she weighed just two pounds, four ounces. So we had a really long um, and tedious NICU journey ahead of us. And while we were dealing with that, I was also dealing with postpartum anxiety, depression, and PTSD. So when you're struggling with both, with anything, I mean, that's a lot in and of itself. Um, but having those mental health issues compiling on top of that, I mean, again, that's just something that a lot of folks aren't talking about. There's such a stigma around mental health in general, which is something that we want to change the conversation around. Um, but specifically mothers, you know, there's a lot of pressure on moms to not talk about how difficult it is. Um, to be a first-time mom in general, but especially when you have a child that's dealing with health problems. So by putting a face to these stories, we hope that it makes a real connection with Arkansans and, again, with policymakers as well. Ashley Bearden-Campbell is the executive director of the organization Arkansans for Improving Maternal Health. Our full conversation can be heard on the Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large. You can always listen to Ozarks at Large when you want by subscribing to the Ozarks at Large podcast. It's free at ozarksatlarge.com, KUAF.com, or wherever you're already downloading your podcasts.
Earlier this hour, you heard Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics talking about Fort Smith native second lieutenant Madison Marsh, who last weekend was crowned as the new Miss America. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, we'll revisit some Prior Center archives with Randy Dixon from the Prior Center about previous Arkansans who became Miss America. Miss America is Miss Arkansas! Savvy Shields! Randy Dixon and archives from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History on Mondays, Ozarks at Large. KUAF's Daily Word Game is a five-letter puzzle available to play right now, as in T-O-D-A-Y. Ugh. Okay. You might get the word if you listen to the Ozarks at Large A-U-D-I-O. Okay, okay. Maybe it's because I forgot to remind you that you can play the game at KUAF.com or by subscribing to the Ozarks at Large newsletter that shows up in your email I-N-B-O-X. Well, maybe you'll have better luck than me. Go try your luck today. This is Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF in Fayetteville, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. So much help putting together this Friday edition of our program. Contributors included Michael Tilley, Daniel Carruth, Lawrence Hare, Rogelio Garcia-Contreras, Rebecca Martin-Brown, and Jack Travis. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl's most recent CD of solo guitar is titled Still Here, and you can find it wherever you find music online. Our general manager at KUAF is Lee Wood. You can find out much more about us and listen to past shows, interviews, and stories at OzarksAtLarge.com. To hear the most recent edition of our show, ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. We'll start a brand new week of daily shows again on Monday. Thank you so much for being with us. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. Stay warm. Please be well. Walton Arts Center's 10x10 Art Series presents the Galvin Cello Quartet, January 30th at 7 p.m. With members from China, Brazil, South Korea, and the U.S., this diverse ensemble presents a program featuring works by Stravinsky, Vivaldi, Rossini, Gershwin, and others, illustrating the connections that form when cultures are integrated through musical harmony. Tickets at waltonartscenter.org. Little Wing presents Old Crow Medicine Show coming to the City Auditorium in Eureka Springs with special guest Willie Watson January 20th. Old Crow Medicine Show at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs. Tickets at tickets.thundertix.com.